The Saint of the Wilderness, also known as Sheffy, by Jess Carr. Chapter 15, Part 2. Robert rode away in June to attend the affairs of his circuit, and Eddie took up his full-time job at the newspaper office. The boy had left with a countenance shining with challenge, and Robert admitted for the first time that he himself was growing old, and for the first time also he admitted to a bone-deep tiredness. In spite of it, there was something renewing about seeing his son so young, so full of hope and energy, going, go riding off into the world. How strange that God would let the old siphon strength from the young. Uh, it was not the first time he had felt this way. The same feeling had come hundreds and perhaps thousands of times when he had held a newborn baby or a little child, whether in a ramshackle mountain hovel or a rolling plantation farmhouse. Yes, Gideon, renewal comes with holding on to another human being, even if he is the smallest squirming thing. They rode along back toward Parisburg again for a service there, and for a week after that no engagements would prevent his going to Independence in Grayson County to help out an old friend in a series of services. It's been a while since we've been to Independence, old friend, he said to Gideon. You will like it there when the time comes for us to go. The water is cool, and the clover is tasty and green, and for me, my sweet lord has provided me with so many dear people, so my pastor friend has told me. The tw twisting road into Parisburg finally straightened, and the edge of the village came into view. So did the rock on which he had chalk sketched that co commanding line which hopefully had caused many a passer-by to stop and ponder on. At least the words still stood out boldly in glistening white against a dark gray background. But what was this? Something new had been added in smaller letters that he could read only as he came very close to the rock. He was written, What shall I do to be saved? And under it a man whose occupation was self-evident had added, use Haiti's pain cure. Uh, well, Gideon, the sweet lord never objected to a little humor, and Eliza tells me that I'm a regular smiley compared to when she married me. Bless her sweet soul, Gideon. She's all the world to me. Now what was I going to say? Oh yeah, we had best not let that medicine salesman get the best of God's message. He dismounted then and added a third line, and prepared to meet thy God. Two days later, after reaching Independence, Robert removed the letter of his host from his pocket and reread the instructions. Well, Gideon, he says for us to go to the Rundy home, and we'll do just that. When the house was reached, he asked to have family prayers. Were we'd be blessed. We've looked forward to this moment for a long, long time, the mistress of the house said. His prayer was long, but his audience showed no impatience, 
and he got up from the, his sheepskin, fulfilled. The smallest child of the household, six or seven years old, ran to him immediately, all timidly banished, uh, all timidity, timidity banished. Brother Sheffy, Mama and Papa told me you would sit down on a sheep and I'd wished you'd give it to me. Bless your precious little heart, son. One day I'll give you my sheepskin when it's worn out, but I don't have another one right now. My first one was very dear to me, and when it was too old I buried it in a place that I'll not tell to any man. I've gone through three more, but I've given them all away. I wish I'd saved one for you. The child whimpered in disappointment. Robert paced across the floor, for he was as helpless observing the discomfort of another's child as he had been with all his own. I don't know what to do to pacify him, he said helplessly. Pay no attention to him, Mrs. Lundy said. I don't know what made him come up with that anyway. A quick summer rain started and the child rushed to the window. Now, Brother Sheffy, I'll bet you can't turn off your problems like that, Martin Lundy said and pointed to his son, completely absorbed at the window. Robert gave a thoughtful nod of his head. I'm getting chilly, Martin Lundy said. I'll just strike a match to that trash in the fireplace and knock the cold out of the room. Been replacing some of the boards on the front porch before somebody breaks a leg. Uh, there's something like ants they, that's, that have eaten plumb through the old boards. The fire blazed and Robert moved closer. That'll warm your outsides and I'll get the wife to heat you some cow's milk to take care of the other side, Lundy said. In his host's absence, Robert watched the dance of the flames. Suddenly, from the burning wood, dozens of blank black ants began making a fast exit out upon the hearth. He began scooping them up with a piece of newspaper, and when he had most of them captured, he handed, or head, headed for the front door. What's the matter, Brother Sheffy? Lundy called, glass in hand from behind him. The little ants are about to get burned, and I'm going to take them out to the woodpile. But we'd be well rid of them. Uh, they're nothing but a nuisance. The sweet lord didn't think so, or he wouldn't have made them. Did you ever think of that? Uh, no one was more surprised than Robert himself that when in the pulpit for the first service, he suddenly uh, cast aside that which he had prepared to say in favor of a sermon on the lowly ant. Perhaps God had even willed it so when out of the fireplace the crawling black things had come to attract his eye and provide his object lesson. Some among us would not believe that the lowly ant has for us a spiritual message, he began. What? You don't, do not believe me? Then you do not know the Proverbs. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? That night, when the service had ended, and the converts came 
in unexpectedly large numbers for an opening service, he marveled not so much at that, but rather how God could use the simplest things to teach the most profound messages. This was still on his mind when he said good night to the pastor and returned to the Lundy home. Brother Lundy, the mystery of our divine Lord is an awe-inspiring thing. If we could but grasp it, our bodies and our minds would surely explode with joy. Robert could tell that Martin Lundy was not seeing the vision his guest was seeing, but he talked on, and his listener sat patiently. I preached a sermon on the tumblebug once, Brother Lundy, and brought a dozen souls to Christ. I didn't invent the lesson of the sermon. The sweet Lord showed it to me, and every word I needed was there. Why, it's as plain as a nose on your face. Two tumblebugs push a little ball of dirt to and fro, back and forth, with great labor. They travel for miles with this little ball of dirt, and sometimes they come up against a rock or a fallen tree limb and backtrack all the way home. If that's not like a man being pushed by the devil and pulled by a martyred Christ, I don't know what is. The services at Independence ended on Sunday afternoon, and Robert rode toward Speedwell and Marion. It was the third anniversary of his brother's death, and a full day's ride lay ahead. We did not get to place flowers on James's grave the first year, nor the second, Gideon, old friend, but another year will not escape us, and this time we're going to take time enough to ride every one of my grandchildren upon your back, and if you do a good job of it, I'll slip a lump of sugar into your box. Gideon, Gideon whinnied and shook his head with animal understanding. With stops at Marion and Cripple Creek behind him, one more stop at the Withville train station yet remained. He had missed seeing John Robert, his youngest boy, by his first marriage, who had ventured to Salem by train in search of a better job. If his son returned on schedule, as expected, he would be able to see him for at least a brief while. Arriving at Withville Station, he hitched Gideon to the public hitching post among a baker's dozen of other prancing, sweating horses and went inside. This stop was a thrill to him, for only once before had he met someone traveling on the belching iron monster that thundered across the countryside. Gideon still flinched at the sight and sound of a train whenever uh, they together encountered one. If the truth be fully known, he also had both a fear and a fascination for the puffing locomotive whose mighty mouth sent sprays of hot cinders into the air and made God's good earth tremble. Today, more than ever, he wanted to ride the mechanical beast for though he had promised himself for years to do so, he never had. The train schedule scribbled in chalk in an obviously unsteady hand indicated that the westbound train from Salem would not arrive for another hour. So be it, he was in no hurry. He positioned his sheepskin on one of the hard benches and sat down. Other passengers waited in the sweltering heat. 
They all seemed remote and unfriendly, and it gave him a feeling of loneliness. Presently, an unfamiliar rattling sound caught his attention, and a gungly pack peddler invaded the train station. Around his body, a canvas-like jacket similar to an oversized cartridge, a belt hung loosely, and every pocket seemed to contain a different wear or trinket. Amuse yourself while you travel. Here, here, he called. Trinkets for sale, and corn cob pipes with tobacco pouches, or New Testaments to read while you ride. Hurry, hurry, before the train is due. Ladies, your attention. I have a few small looking glasses. Primp your best. You may be meeting your next husband on the train. The overzealous salesman walked about the waiting room, giving his pitch, until finally he stood in front of Robert. Old-timer, if I ever saw a man that one of my corncob pipes and a little of the devil's weed would cheer up, you're him. I don't get any pleasure out of breathing anything but the good air or the purest aromas of nature, Robert said. I might have known it, the peddler said, bending low to Robert's ear. I can spot a man who likes a whiff of something really good every time. I've got a little home-made peach brandy out back in the bushes, he said, whispering still lower. Follow me out back end. I'm not traveling by the train. I'm just waiting for somebody. In that case, my brother, you ought to be reading the good book and worrying about your soul while you wait. You see this leather-bound New Testament? Only a dollar, and if I ever saw a man that looks like he needed to be saved, you're him. What makes you say that? Robert said. Why, it's as plain as day. The hardness of your face, the guilty eyes, and your back looks a little droopy to me. Probably been deep in anguish, haven't you? Insides burned to totally up with guilt, I'd say. The book says, though your sins be as scarlet, read it for yourself. Think you'll find it in Genesis, about page 142. It's in Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 18. Since Genesis is the first book of the Bible, it couldn't be on page 142, could it? And by the way, how did Genesis get in the New Testament? Yes, sir. If I ever saw a man lost to the ravages of mortal sin, what did you say? I said the scripture you quoted is in Isaiah, Robert said, chapter 1, verse 18. You know any other scriptures, old brother? Yes, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. I don't believe... I don't believe I have anything else to sell you. Good day, sir. The departing back of the peddler paused, passed jauntily through the door, and Robert could hear the jingle of wares moving farther down the street. When his eyes were refocused on the people sitting about the waiting room, a middle-aged man with a scholarly aura about him looked towards him and smiled. Robert stroked his coarse beard in surprise for he did not recognize the friendly man. Don't we know each other from somewhere? The stranger said, standing 
enclosing the distance between their two benches. Not that I know of. I couldn't help overhearing that salesman giving you his pitch. Don't take him seriously. If it'll help any, I see nothing hard about your face at all. The fact is, I see there an infinite kindness that draws me, and I cannot understand it unless we have met before. Is it possible you could be wrong? I feel a strong sense of brotherhood that can't be explained any other way. I've never been introduced to you on any of my circuit rounds that I can remember, but my name is Robert Sawyer Sheffy, he said, extending his hand. So that's it. At last I have met the renegade Methodist evangelist who converts, whose converts march like an army across this land. You are right, we haven't met, but it seems I have known you all my life, and I feel no less a stranger shaking your hand at last. I'm F.G. Richardson, a member and temporary secretary of the Holston Conference. I guess that explains part of it, then. There should be a recognition among all men who serve as soldiers of the cross. Yes, except that we have not been privileged to include you in the full fellowship of our fraternity. We are joined by the common good, Brother Richardson, but when the time comes that I can serve my sweet lord better by full connection with the conference, I'll let you know. A train whistled in the distance, and the passengers began picking up their suitcases. The better part of the afternoon was spent with John Robert, and the sun was low in the west when each of them went their separate ways. No more stops at all could be made if he was to traverse the obstacles of two mountains and get to Bland before night. Both he and Gideon had gone through the Little Walker and Big Walker mountain ranges so many times across the years that Robert thought that his animal understood the twists and turns of the Raleigh Grayson Turnpike as well as he did. Take your head, Gideon. I want to read from the Psalms. Waste no time now. The blistering head or heat lingered on even after the sun was half hidden, and Robert mopped his brow frequently as he rode. The squeak of the leather saddle and the rolling motion of Gideon's steady pace began to make him sleepy, and he raised his eyes for a moment. Visible heat waves rose up from the dirt road, and no air seemed to be stirring. This is the kind of day to breed a thunderstorm, Gideon, but I think we can get to Bland. He was reading again when Gideon stretched his neck and whinnied loudly, loudly. The bray of a mule called back, and Robert looked up to see in the distance a form that could have but one identity. Nobody in the world can ride a mule side-saddle with the dignity and regal posture of Aunt Sis Umbringer, Gideon. Look at that stiff spine and jutting chin, would you? I never spent much time reading the classics, but if she doesn't have the form of a queen of the Nile, I never saw anything more like it. Bless her sweet life, Gideon. She served her blessed lord almost as long as I have, though in a different way. The queenly woman upon the 
Mouse Bray Mule continued along the side road until it intersected with the turnpike. Be glad to ha you have be glad to have you ride over the mountain with us, Robert called. Not going over both mountains. I'm turning off halfway up the first one. There's too many babies coming this week. I can't get around fast enough. Well, maybe you'll get a rest by the time the cool weather comes. She mopped her brow with a sleeve-covered arm and blew a wisp of graying hair from in front of her, her eyes. What are you talking about? You don't know much about the baby business. Have you forgotten what a bad winter we came through? You think the sorry menfolk of Wythe County was ly laying around the barn woodland during them snowdrifts and zero weather? If you think they was, you follow me around nine m months from January, February, and March. That's not to mention the scoundrels that didn't have enough to do with spring chores and run me back out in the dead of winter. Robert tried to suppress his smile. I knew you have a thankless task sometimes, but look at all the good our sweet lord has let you witness too. She ignored this. Child burthen's not exactly like having the hiccups, much as some men folks would like to think so. Why, if one man could ever have a baby and tell his kind about it, there wouldn't be more than one urchin in every household. You can bet on that. Do the best you can, Mrs. Umbinger, uh, he called as she turned from the main road. Sometimes the Lord works his wonders through the humblest of his flock. The almost eerie wilderness between the two mountains, mountain ranges were negotiated, and they started up the last mountain as dust began to fall. Gideon whinnied again, but this time Robert had seen what provoked the warning call of this animal. What do you make of it, Gideon? Looks to me like a family is in trouble. Closer up, the problem became clo clear. A loaded wagon stood by the side of the road, and one horse of the team lay dead. About this animal stood a man and four children, and when Robert dismounted, two more little ones craned their necks from beneath the household goods. The wife and mother was unseen until she moved from the back of the wagon and lifted the patchwork quilt on which she and her infant had been resting. What do you think happened? Robert asked. I can't tell you that, mister, the pleasant-faced man said. The animal just dropped dead like he'd been shot. It's been so hot, maybe that's it. Do you live around here? No, we left Ada, West Virginia, and we're going to North Carolina. My people are there, the man's wife added, but looks like this is as close as we're getting to get to them, or we're going to get to them. Keep heart now, Robert said. We're a long way between villages, but somebody in one direction or the other should have a horse for sale. The stranded man, whose mood previously had been almost jolly under the circumstances, now took on a look of defeat, and his wife's gaze shifted to the ground. It won't do no good to find a horse dealer. I don't have but four dollars and a few brownies. That's the reason we're going south. Maybe things will be better there. Robert felt 
in his own pocket before he remembered that the collection he received at Independence had been given back to the church treasurer for application toward the debt on the new church. The hopelessness of their situation seemed to silence the entire family of travelers, and Robert wandered from them to the shoulder of the road. He sat on his heels and rested his elbow on folded knees until guidance and inspiration filled his heart and head to overflowing. My dear Lord, would you require so much? He whispered. What did you say? The man asked. Unhitch your animal and drag that dead one off the road and down into the hollow. You will need the harness to put on my animal, your horse, but we haven't any money to pay. And how would we get him back? You need no money to pay. My Lord has told me that we are all of one family, and what each of us has belongs to the other. This is your hour of need, and all of the earth and the fullness thereof is the Lord's. Take God's animal and be kind to him. In the same way, the Lord has called me to befriend you, so will he call upon another to befriend me. The harness of the dead horse fitted Gideon to near perfection, but he pranced discontentedly in the confines of his work suit. Robert outlined his horse's feeding instructions to his new owner and asked to be alone with his animal before they should all part company. Little heads peered around the rear of the wagon long before he had finished his farewell, but he delayed no longer and bade them leave. But how will you get back to your place? Both the man and woman inquired belatedly. He shouldered his saddle and bridle for the long walk to Bland and made light of his predicament. If a black bear gnaws at my heels, I'll feed him the saddle first. Then he should be too well filled to growl for dessert. The humor of his voice bellied the welling up in his eyes. The wagon started a crawling, turtle-like motion of creaking weight and groaning wheels. God be with you, my friends, he called before his throat seemed to close. Lips that had shortly before brushed against the bone-hard cheek of a much-loved animal began to tremble. Gideon backed in his harness as the wagon moved along the fitfully swayed and fitfully swayed his head to the right and left in display of his rebellion. Robert took one final look. The animal flung his head so violently to the side that his neck nearly paralleled his body, and one screaming whinny echoed through the trees. Robert forced his vision northward to Bland. Goodbye, dear friend. Our sweet lord does indeed require much. Long after dark, Robert trudged, exhausted, into the little village of Bland. Only the saddle, carried at times upon his head, kept the smallest part of him dry from the torrents of water that seemed to have been dumped from the heavens during the last two miles of his trek. The crossroads trading store was open, and he could see the faceless forms of men sitting on the open porch and outlined by the lamp-lit windows. The men talked in mumbling low tones as he approached, but he could identify no one by voice. With a sigh of weariness, 
he cast the burden from his back upon the store porch and sat down to rest. Brother Sheffy, is that you? A voice called from the store porch. The sweet angels are not out tonight. It is me in the flesh. Harmon Newbury, the son of his dear friend Alan, stepped out of the shadows. I was sure that was you coming up the road when the lightning lit up the sky. What are you doing out in the rain and the black of night without a horse? Did lightning strike him dead? An unidentified voice inquired. That's really... That'd really be something if the lightning struck your horse dead. Robert told Harmon Newbury and the others the background of his horseless condition. They all listened patiently until he finished and, for good measure, added a short sermon. Then Harmon Newbury said, You've got no worries about another horse. There's a drove of unbroken western horses here in land right now. They came in by rail car uh, to Withville yesterday, and one of my men helped the auctioneers drive them over the mountain. They're slick, fat, and frisky, and the auction block is going to be busy tomorrow. Come on home with me now, and I'll give you a bed and some beans, and so you'll sleep better. I'll see that you get the best horse in the bunch tomorrow. Before Robert could show his gratitude, a man named uh, Nye Finley stepped to his side and said, and I'll pay half the bill. The next morning at the auction square, Finley was already waiting when Robert and Harmon walked over to the split rail enclosure. Finley retracted his propped up foot from the second rail and pointed to the horse he had judged the best. Robert chose otherwise, and Harmon backed his judgment when the large Bay Horse stood before the auctioneer. Harmon and Nye Finley were not alone in the bidding. They were alone, however, when the hammer crashed down and, and sold, reverberated around the ring. Well, he's yours, Brother Sheffy, Harmon said. I'll get one of my men to break him for you. None of these horses have has ever been ridden before. In the meantime, I'll loan you a horse to ride. Robert shook hands with both men and said, May the Lord bless you both for your kindness and listening hearts to his will. They all watched the buying and bidding continue, but Robert was soon anxious to go. Would you get my saddle and bridle? Robert asked Harmon. You didn't understand me, Brother Sheffy. I said I'd loan you a horse when we go home for dinner. You can't ride your new horse until he's been broken. But Robert insisted, when the saddle and bridle were brought and put on the new animal, it pranced wildly. Robert placed his hand upon the animal's nose and rubbed his own cheek against the larger, coarser one of the animal. One only then was he conscious that silence prevailed all about him, that to every bystander and auctioneer it was obvious what he was attempting to do. Quickly, he closed his eyes and muttered under his breath a prayer. Nye Finley held the bridle rein with the same frozen stance that stilled his voice. Robert mounted and asked Finley to relinquish his soul hold on the horse's bridle. For the space of a long moment, the horse did nothing. Then slowly, 
deliberately, the animal turned his head backward and looked at the fixture upon his back. He stared still longer at the little man upon him, then straightened his head and gave a contemptuous snort. Give us a little room now, Robert commanded as he started from the auction square. You'll kill yourself, Brother Sheffy, Harmon Newbury called frantically. Robert leaned forward and patted the animal's neck. By all rights, new friend, I should call you Gideon too, but there's no use in being fancy, and the Lord has rid you of your fanciness already. I will just call you Gideon, the same as always, he whispered. The way was clear for the strutting animal now, all the way out to the turnpike road. I think it'll, it's all right now, Brother Newberry, Brother Finley. Let's be easy now. Move along, Gideon. We've a lifetime to spend together, big fellow. Uh, no hurry. Take your time. Take your time. Where do you want us to bury you, one of the auctioneers called. That time has not yet come, my brother. Robert shot, shot back. Less the ways. I hope not. Uh, I've got a preaching engagement at the east end of the county at Mount Zion Church. That's the place you ought to be then, I reckon, the still dumbfounded auctioneer called back. You've got to be a saint or the worst kind of fool to try what you're trying. Goodbye, Brother Newbury, Robert called at last. The auctioneer may be right, but if he isn't, I'll be by the waters of Walker's Creek at nightfall and eating from the table of Aunt Julia Bogle. As long as he stayed in sight of the auction ring, figures there were still motionless, and the vibrato outpourings of the auctioneer still silenced. Why should they be amazed, new friend, he said to Gideon. Isn't it a simple thing to know that the same sweet Lord who holds dominion over them also holds dominion over the creation and auctions or actions of his animal kingdom as well it is the simplest of truths new friend and perhaps it is well that they think upon it until they have provided their own answer by the time he reached aunt julia bogle's house near the giles bland county line robert was sure that gideon too would soon be an obedient and gentle friend the animal had not been completely mastered yet but before long, Robert would be riding upon a disciplined back so gentle and trustworthy that the Psalms could be read with no fear of less important things. And now, new friend, I will turn you into Aunt Julia's pasture lot, abundant in clover and good limestone water. Look around now. We will be here often, and just as surely as I eat Aunt Julia's good honey and bread, you will find yourself in a garden of grass. He rested the next day and prepared his sermon during the evening hours. He loved to preach at Mount Zion Church, and he loved the people that he preached to even more. Their kindness never seemed to waver as it did on occasion in other church, uh, localities. And here, too, was a hunger not just for the word of word, but for Christian fellowship of the purest strain. I told my beloved Eliza once that her girlhood home was as dear to me as the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus must have been to our blessed Savior. 
at the time that was true, but we can't go back to our younger years, and now I must say that this home has taken on that meaning for me. Tears came to Julia Buggle's eyes, and she managed only a muffled bless you and thank you in this sensitive woman so generous with unlimited love and unselfishness uh, he expected no more acknowledgement than that perhaps that's why he loved her so for her unobtrusive presence the busy hands that rushed to serve another first and the sense of loss that reflected in her kindly face when fellowship of any sort needed to be broken because of two rapidly passing hours Brother Sheffy, you have just given my home a new name, Julia said. Now we will hereafter call it the Preacher's House. The church on Sunday was packed and many stood at the open windows. He opened the service with impromptu remarks and to the effect that the blessed book says, He who is first shall be last, and he who is last shall be first. I'm thinking as the sweet runs... The sweat runs down my cheek and under my shirt collar that the latecomers are better off outside in the shade, looking in. In spite of the swelter of a hot June day, he gave them his message, and it was two hours later before he stepped down from the stained, stained walnut pulpit and wa wandered into the oak-shaded churchyard. Well, you said in there that we are all strangers in the world and short-lived ones at that. So where you gonna find anybody that knows you so you can go home to dinner with him, a brother Warner chided. The cluster of old and young around him laughed, and the sound of it was good. I'm going to disappoint you all. I'm fixed up already. Your good brother Aurelius Vest has asked me home with him. Uh, pray for me now until... We're together again, and pray for our loyal old friend, Mr. Barbie, who couldn't be with us today. I'll stop on my way down the valley and rub the rheumatism from his aching old joints. He will cry a little, but I'll tell him that you all love him, and he'll be all right. Don't you worry any now. I'll borrow some of Aurelius's pine oil rheumatism chaser to rub in, and by next service time, Brother Barbie will be sitting in the front pew. Next time, Chapter 16.